0: Welcome to the Dog Liaison Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. You're about to listen to a live coaching session in which I coach a dog guardian just like you through treating their dog's behavioral obstacle. These coaching sessions often go in unexpected paths. These guardians start off thinking their challenge is one thing, only to realize what they actually have to focus on is another. However, a guaranteed result of every single coaching session is the guardian walks away realizing just how much they already knew And feeling empowered to create and execute their dog's next training plan. So, listen in as we troubleshoot and enjoy the show. Hello,
1: hello. Welcome to episode two of the Dog Liaison Coaching Show. We are so happy to have you. In today's episode, we are going to be meeting Tara and Sully. And after being attacked at 13 weeks old, Now, one-year-old Sully has become fearful and anxious. And now, as soon as Sully gets to the front porch for a walk or towards the garage area, he is going to freeze up. He's going to start to whine. He's going to start to pull. He's going to refuse food. And walks have not become enjoyable for mom or Sully. So we're going to welcome Tara in. We're going to do a live coaching session where I'm going to help her navigate and troubleshoot what's going on and what her next action plan is. So if you have a dog that also is reluctant to walk outside or like is flimsy, sometimes he's willing to go outside, sometimes he's not. This episode is definitely the one you want to tune into. We are going to welcome Tara, our second guest guardian. We're going to meet all about Sully. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you start us off with like a preliminary introduction? Who is Sully? What's his personality like? You know, are going to introduce your dog for the first time. What would you want us to know? Sully is a fun dog. He has quite a personality, very sensitive. The best thing I can say to describe him is that he's a FOMO dog. I mean, if he feels like he's missing out on something, life is over for him. He just can't stand it. He has lots of anxieties. He has car anxiety isolation, distress, barrier frustration, hypervigilance in the house, and then obviously the anxiety on walks. And introduce us a little bit to, I mean, we've we got the highlights. You know, he doesn't like going out for walks with you, but yeah. kind of dig deeper into that. Tell us, how often are you trying to go for walks? How often is he likely to kind of put up that resistance? And what happens when it does occur? So he was attacked in December of 2021. And after that, I kind of walked him sporadically, but here the weather kind of got bad. I was quite traumatized from that, so I really don't remember doing a whole lot after that. Then beginning in 2022, I would try again just sporadically, and it was just kind of off and on that I would kind of attempt that, but knowing that he would whine immediately, like pretty much the minute I opened the door, the whining would start. I tried a bunch of different things and nothing seemed to, you know, work or lessen that. So I thought maybe I'm making it worse. And then here the weather got super hot. So I thought, okay, we'll take off a long time, pretty much all summer, of walks, because it was just too hot. I thought he might need the break. So did that and I think I tried a couple weeks ago. For the first time in several months, just to see, okay, did the break help us at all? But it was pretty much the same. So when you say it's pretty much the same, kind of walk us through what behavior you see. Sure. It's whining the minute we get out the door, the minute the garage opens, you know, however we get outside. The whining starts, the pulling starts. He will not respond to his name. He won't respond to cues that he knows just to see, kind of check in. And he just becomes frantic. And a part of me wonder if it's sensory overwhelm a little bit because he's, you know, pretty much been sheltered a lot. But then it's just kind of hard to know. He'll be frantic on the leash. He'll kind of dart everywhere. There's no rhyme or reason his movements. If he sees something, he'll freeze. Or if he hears something that bothers him, he will jump. He just seems very on edge. And then when we come back, he will lay down um, in my garage or on the driveway and not move. He just kind of parks himself there. So it's a little confusing. I'm gonna have you repeat that just to make sure I got it. You're saying when you come back from the walk, that when he's pancaking? Yeah, he pancakes, he just sits there. He doesn't wanna come in. It's kind of an odd behavior. And on these walks that you're going to, roughly how long are they? Like duration or wide? Oh, not long. Probably we go about four or five houses down at most. But it kind of depends on his sniffing behavior, how long it takes to get, you know, from point A to point B, but less than 20 minutes. And I heard you say he's sniffing. I mean, it kind of depends on like how long the walk is, is reliant on how much he's sniffing. Mm -hmm. Describe the sniffing for me. What do you see when he's sniffing? It's not calming. It's very quick. You know, he'll sniff for a few seconds and then move to the next space and move to the next. It's not what you would See in a dog that's you know going on a decompression walk and they're taking it in it's definitely not that it's more of I'm gaining information so that I can uh, mark here or something and then move on to the next one mm-hmm. and I've heard you say that you've tried a lot of things mm-hmm. what are that you've tried um I've tried patterning uh inside and outside the door, you know, keeping the front door open and working where I know he'll take food versus where he won't I've tried hanging out in the driveway and just kind of letting him take in things going on. Tried working with him in the driveway. I've tried just kind of letting him walk and just see how he does. And none of it has obviously helped much. And I've been concerned that it's, you know, making him more fearful. So I've just kind of been at a loss. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of turn back to some of these you said, that you said, your concerns that the things you were doing were making him more fearful. Expand on that. What do you mean? Well, you know, I wasn't sure if more exposure would make him more fearful if I'm pushing him too far by even if he won't respond to his name outside. That's kind of a good indicator to me that he's really not processing. So I felt like maybe me even letting him just kind of do his thing might be exposing him to more than he can handle. Has there been anything else that you've done? I think that's about it that I can think of. I'd like to switch into the coaching piece. Is that okay? Sure. And I just want to clarify for you and for everyone. When I look down, I'm writing notes, so I'm not disconnecting, but I just want you to know that I'm here still. Sure. Um. So let's go backwards a little bit. I heard that you have had a lot of ideas on how to help him and you've been doing some trial and error. Where did those ideas come from? Where did you get the Different training courses, different things that I've read. I love to research, so I just tried to find as much as I can. And obviously, you know, when your dog is, when something's wrong, you just want to do anything to make it better. So I've really tried to, you know, find as many resources as I could that might give me something to unlock what could be going on. And I, I did forget to mention, he has been on a behavioral medication since he was about seven months old. And I've recently contacted my vet about working with a behaviorist because I think we're at the point where that needs to be tweaked and that could be a big factor in moving forward. Why haven't you pulled the trigger on that yet? Oh, it's just been waiting on my vet to uh, just communication. So of the research that you're doing, the techniques that you're acquiring and implementing, how much of it were things that you felt didn't work? How much of it were things that were working, but you couldn't problem solve? And how much of it were things that helped a little, but not in the way that you really needed them to? Uh, None of it helped, quite honestly, because no matter what I tried, we were still getting to the point where the minute we're outside, he can't respond to anything. He's just non-functional, just too frantic. He doesn't care about, you know, me or what I have or how high value the food is. He just wants to go, which is interesting to me for him to be exhibiting anxious behavior. And you would think that that would make him want to retreat, but he just, you know, wants to go forward. And to me, that's a little bit dangerous on my end because, you know, if we did come across a trigger or something and I have zero control, so to speak, over getting his attention or getting him back on the leash, that makes me anxious just not wanting to put him in a situation that he's just not prepared for Mm -hmm. you said something interesting there you said it's interesting to you that his anxious behavior is pushing him to go sniff to go Mm -hmm. out on the walk Mm -hmm. and that it feels dangerous to you for that to occur not dangerous to sniff dangerous that if he's not responding to me and i can't get him out of a situation if you know one happened that's where The danger. If he wants to, you know, sniff, by all means, I'm thrilled for him to do so. Okay. There's two things we need to dig into there. How much of that possible threat to you, where he's not able to focus, he's not able to look to give you some direction, how much of that sense of danger do you think is affecting you? Quite a bit, just because of, you know, I can't say that it didn't affect me when he was attacked. That added a lot on my plate of. Wanting to protect him and feeling like I didn't. And I have no doubt that as much as I try to, you know, control it, that part of it is picking up on my anxiety because I absolutely have that. That's kind of a hard thing to ask him to not have when I have it myself. Okay. And so, what have you tried or what are you doing to mitigate your stress and your anxiety around that? For me, I try to really just breathe, quite honestly. That's a huge thing for me is just, you know, taking a deep breath, trying to be as prepared as possible and just try to keep within a bubble, so to speak, where I feel like if we need to come back or either of us, that's possible. You said you tried to be prepared as possible. Mm What does that look like? I carry a citronella spray with me now. Just in case we come across any off-leash dogs that might cause an issue, I carry high-value treats at all times, even though he won't take them. But, you know, it's I could toss them to another dog to give us some time. Something like I just try to do what I can to control what I am able to have control over, which is pretty much just me. What are some other ways that you can get control over what is within your control? that have nothing to do with citronella and high-value treats? Not sure. You know, I do the best I can with trying to be positive and just not relive what happened. And in the sense that this doesn't happen every time. You know, this is something that would happen on a daily basis. That was just kind of a freak accident. It wasn't intentional by any means. So I just try to keep in my mind that I'm safe, we're safe. You know, chances are it's going to be okay and kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of repeat back to you what you're saying. Is that okay? Sure. So what I'm hearing is that, while well, yes, this incident happened almost a year ago, Billy. Really. Yeah. Philly got attacked, but really it was traumatizing for you. Mm-hmm. And statistically speaking, it's the outlier. It's the one-off event, right? But <laughs> so we just look at the odds of it. You've been outside with solely many a time that hasn't occurred. And Intuitively, you know this, you're observing, right. but that one moment was such a significant moment for your body, mm-hmm. was such a significant experience for both you and Soli. Right. And it then affected your behavior subsequently, which then affected Soli's behavior subsequently, mm-hmm. that your body has internalized it as a much more dramatic experience of just walking out that front door. Mm-hmm. And that you have tried to combat. That very dramatic experience, I would call it traumatic, right? Yes. Has tried to combat that trauma with treats, citronella, and positive vibes. There are only so many things that I know that I can control, and that is something that I know to do. But if there are other things that I can do, I am Welcome. I welcome the suggestion. There are other things. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'm going to bring them out of you. So when we're working with a dog, let's just put solely to the side for a second. You've done a lot of research. You did a lot of courses. You've done a lot of reading. Yep. You've done your homework. Mm-hmm. When we're working with desensitizing a dog, mm-hmm. what are the fundamental things that we're doing to make that dog feel more comfortable with that trigger? Changing their association is the main thing, you know, most likely with food. Trying to pair something positive with something that they perceive to be negative. Beautiful. Perfect. So that principle of changing the association, where did we come up with that idea? It's been tested for many, many years. So Pavlov and everyone out thereafter was like, hey, there's this really cool thing that if you pair a strong event with right. another trigger or another cue, those things get linked in the mind. Mm-hmm. Right. You can create the association. So what you've been doing is you, well, and what everybody who is conditioning a dog to change their association of the trigger is like, we'll pair something positive with the event that the trigger arrives, right? What's the next step after that? After that is just continuing on with that, I would assume, you know, making sure that if the reaction is still there, that you're taking distance and trying to manage that reaction. Do we stay in the association building stage forever? So once a dog has an association, let's say ideally, if you're using treats, it's come into a positive association. Mm-hmm. So once a dog has a positive association with the trigger, do we just stay in that stage into perpetuity, or is there a next step? I mean, I haven't done reactivity training with him because we can't even get there. But as I wouldn't would I would assume absolutely not. You know, you, if you have a positive association, you don't need to constantly be reinforcing that. Okay. Beautiful. Perfect. So if you have a dog who's feeling comfortable, and again, we're just talking dogs in general, right? Now. Mm-hmm. You just walk in the street, you see a dog, they're feeling happy, they're doing things. What would be the next thing that a guardian may ask their dog if the dog is already comfortable and then they need to operate the world safely? I'm really not sure. I guess I'm just not following well, you guys where you're are. going. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Are dogs just running around always just in emotion mode where they're just like always bouncing off the walls, boisterous, happy, 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 like insane, happy or the inverse of just like crazy, 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 depressed and like pancake on the floor? Or is there an in-between? No, there's an in-between. Okay. What does that in-between look like? Just existing. I mean, it looks it's very neutral. In- Be more specific. What is the behavior? What do you observe? Just a, like I said, a neutral response to whatever is going on not overly happy it's not really sad it's just neutral what would you see the dog doing not reacting just hey whatever their usual is their usual is just hanging out then that's what i would see good, good, good. okay you're on so if we can kind of articulate that
0: mm-hmm. right
1: with see them perhaps standing and giving eye contact mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yes would we see them looking around and kind of watching their environment? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Earlier, you had mentioned that sniffing can be a calming experience. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So we might be sniffing in a calmer way than Soli is demonstrating. Yes. So all of those actions that I just described, whether it's looking at mom, looking around the environment, looking at or sniffing the floor, right? Mm-hmm. We can label everything that I just described behavior, Mm -hmm. right? Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So once you've moved from the association building stage and a dog has an association, and in theory, we're going to go with a positive one. You then move into the what stage? The neutral behavior stage. Beautiful. So now we're moving into that behavior piece. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So you did that. You did that. I want to pause here. (laughs) I know was hard to articulate, right? Right. But what we've come to, what we've encapsulated, is that anytime you want to condition a scary event, mm-hmm. you start off with conditioning a positive association. We recruit our friend Pavlov, right? right? And we're going to pair the scary thing with something we like. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to move into eventually, once the individual can handle it, we're going to move into a more behavior-centric idea, mm-hmm. Right. And, and as this conversation is kind of navigated, you've described some more organic, natural behavior, right? Which I love. I'm so about that. So, just to recap, what we know to be true about desensitizing a dog's trigger or a dog is that we first need to create an association and then we need to give the dog a behavior to demonstrate around that trigger. Mm-hmm. We are working with, as we have identified, some scientific principles here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Would you say that these principles are exclusively for dogs? No. Gosh, no. Who else can they apply to? Oh, humans. I mean, pretty much anyone. You can, you know, apply it to anyone who has the ability to learn. Beautiful. So you identified humans. Would you say that the principle can apply to you? Yes. Perfect. So now we've identified that if we wanted to hypothetically desensitize a trigger for you, we mm-hmm. could implement the same principle of create positive association, and then implement some sort of behavior once you get to that stage. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's move out of theoretical talking, mm-hmm. and let's kind of circle back to what you hit before, which is that you're feeling danger. Mm-hmm. What do we do with what we just described? What do we do with the principle we just described, and apply it to what your experience is at home? For me, if I had more positive experiences walking him. That would certainly lessen my anxiety significantly. You said positive experiences walking slowly. Why didn't Sully have to be there? Because that's what gives me anxiety. If I'm walking by myself, which I do daily, there's no anxiety. When working with Sully, I heard you say that you first would do some training when he wasn't over threshold, and he would take some treats, right? Mm-hmm. When you're yep. We're talking, talking about like the door and stuff, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So. You were working with him at time that he wasn't over-threshold, is what I heard you say. Yes. Yep. Is that a principle that only applies to dogs? No. Okay. Who else does it apply to? Anyone with the ability to learn. Okay. Does it apply to you? Yes. Do you need to work sub-threshold? Absolutely. How do we do that? I have to be in a place where I feel comfortable, where I don't feel like he's in danger, because then that would tip me, you know, over-threshold. So... Wherever the spot is where I feel, you know, most comfortable is where I have to start. Okay. You said you felt most comfortable without Sully there. Mm -hmm. Can you not start there? You could, but I guess I'm not seeing how that would have an effect when I need to bring in him being with me. Well, you know the same principles. Mm -hmm. You know you have to condition yourself every single time a trigger arrives. Mm Mm-hmm. And you need to give yourself an alternative behavior around that trigger. Mm-hmm. You know you need to work subthreshold, threshold mm-hmm. And you know you need to do it in a safe, conducive manner so that your body rehearses that experience. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So that it can handle when it starts to get more difficult. Mm-hmm. These are all principles you've laid out. Absolutely. So why shouldn't you start off without Sully? I guess I'm just not seeing I see what you're saying I guess I'm just not understanding how to apply it because as I said I walk okay. every day so that's a different question though oh sure so not knowing how to apply it is different than not believing that it's viable. oh no I believe it's viable I'm just confused as to how to apply that knowing that when I walk every day I don't experience that whatsoever beautiful so I love that you identified the difference there because now we can move forward Right. Sure. When we identify that, like, we understand the principle, we understand that we need to work sub-threshold. We know we need to have a, a positive association and then operate with towards the behavior. We know all these. Now it just comes from, OK, how do we move from the theoretical to the practical to the actual? Right. right? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful assessment there. I do want to read this comment. I think it'll be supportive for you. I'm having the same issues, learning that my dog doesn't like going out. Maybe I don't like either. We are finding alternatives to walking. That's a beautiful vol- suggestion, which is finding alternatives to walking. We're going to circle back to that one. I'm going to table that one. And we're going to mm-hmm. weave our way back. Okay. So let's talk about the practical application of what you could do. So you're on your walk. You're without Sully. What is the trigger? For me, the trigger is honestly his whining. That is what Starts it for me, it sends my blood pressure rising because I know from there I've lost control, okay Why is he whining? Wish I knew <laughs> I really wish I knew I think you well, to be fair, because he has barrier frustration and I know that the leash you know is a barrier for him, I have had trouble differentiating between whether he's mostly frustrated or mostly anxious. He has every right to be. Anxious. He can feel however he wants to feel, of course, but I completely understand the anxiety as well as I know him and I know know, he has the frustration, but I don't know if it's a mixture of both or if it's one more than the other. I'm just not sure on that.
0: Hey there, it's me. I'm just jumping in really quick to remind you that we do have a free list of 50 enrichment activities to do with your dog. It is a free download entirely. Uh, You can find the link to download it in the description box of this episode. So check that out before you leave. And now let's get back to the episode. Well,
1: I have a clarifying question. Why does it matter? It doesn't except for the fact that I just like to know. You know, I feel like I might be able to help better if I knew which one was creating the bigger issue. It might not matter. I just it's like it's information for me, and that's beautiful. So, how would you find out that information? I'm not sure. That's what I had struggled with. Well, it sounds like the barrier frustration. The first hypothesis has to do with the, something with the leash. The barrier frustration with the leash. Yes, I think. But he doesn't display that in other, like if if I work with him in the backyard with the leash, he doesn't display that. But when he has thing he wants to get to you know, which he does outside, then... Okay, so just to clarify, you're saying it doesn't have to do with whether or not the leash is on. Correct. What is the variable that influences? It's related to the leash, but what is the variable that changes it? Being outside in the front of the house where there is no, you know, there's no fence, there's no secondary barrier. Are you certain? Fairly. How are you fairly certain? Because he doesn't have the same reaction when he's in the backyard on the leash. You know, he's fairly calm in the backyard. Are there, are there variables that can be different in the backyard mm-hmm. on a leash versus in the front yeah, yard with a the leash? There's just not as many novel smells and, you know, there's a lot more for him to want to get to in the okay. front. Absolutely. 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 So there's a different things, though. So. Sure. so what you're identifying is that there are a lot of different variables here, mm-hmm. right? Oversimplify it and say it's the front yard versus the backyard, but that's not enough data is what sure. you're seeing. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's so much more, you know, he's very sheltered in the backyard. There's so much more to see, to smell, you know, sniff, like in the front yard, the world is his oyster. So what could you do to identify whether or not, like, I don't even want to jump right to whether or not it's frustration, which I think you could eventually get to that point, but I I don't think you could get to that point right away. -hmm. Because that is more of a deciding whether or not it's frustration implies emotion, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's always going to be like a best guess at that point because it's like emotion, yeah, right. So we can start off with more solid. How would you find out exactly what the variable is that is instigating the whining? Well, I've tried to narrow it down. I've tried, you know, adjusting criteria. I've tried going out a different door. I've tried using flat collar versus harness, I've tried mixing it up to see if one of these things makes it worse, makes it better, and just haven't been able to find anything that can give me enough data to say, okay, well, it's probably this versus something else. How many times did you try those things each? Probably at least five or six times each. Okay. Was there any control over those experiments? No. Okay. So how solid was the data? I mean, that was pretty much all that I could think of to do mm-hmm. is, you know, those were the two factors that I felt like I could adjust. You know, I had tried front door versus garage and that didn't produce any different results. So mm-hmm. tried black collar versus, uh-huh. garage, sorry, and that didn't produce different results. So, you know, kind of trying to narrow down what I know that I can okay. and so bad stuck. Okay. So what I'm hearing is you've actually done a lot of experiment um, and you've been able to test a couple of things multiple times, which is good, mm-hmm. and that you were coming up with a, a variable data that just kind of left you with more
0: questions. Mm-hmm. And it
1: all leads to this route of he may or may not be feeling frustrated. We don't really know how much the frustration is affecting it. And if we don't really know how much the frustration is affecting, then we don't really know if it's an easy tweak, if we just have to do like a couple things, or if it's a complicated thing that we have to kind of maneuver a bunch of different variables. Right. Right. And at the root of it, his whining is causing you to be triggered. Mm -hmm. And you don't know how to practically apply the principles that we know about dogs, which is positive association, behavior change, enrichment, et cetera, will lead to a new conditioned behavior around that trigger, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know how to change your association with that member Mm -hmm. when there's so much chaos, Yeah. yeah? So what would you say of all of the things that I just encapsulated? There's a lot there Mm -hmm. and they all have their own kind of like, we have like our data collection point. We have our mom's trigger, the fact that she feels in danger Mm -hmm. data point. We have the fact that he's whimpering and that there's probably just being outside alone is overwhelming. Yeah. But we have a lot of different facets here. Is there any one that is more important or less important than the other? No, like they're all very equally important. Beautiful. So which do you think makes most sense to start with? Oh, gosh. I feel like it's hard to know. You know, probably me because... If I'm not okay, he's not going to be, you know, okay. Beautiful. So I'm sure it would be my, uh, adjusting my association to his whining, which would be the next thing to focus on. I'm honestly not sure. You know, again, with the data, because I don't know what to adjust next, I'm not sure what I would choose after. Let me ask you this. Before one can take action, they have to form a hypothesis. Would you agree? Yeah. So what do we do with hypotheses? We'll test them. Okay. So we would run this experiment. experiment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, perfect. So before we can even worry about really his trigger, like getting him out the front door and like the logisticals of like how far back do we start and like when do we treat all, Before we can worry about all that, we have to start off with experiments. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So let's assume that we've treated you and your everything of fixed like a band-aid because that's obviously how it works right Right. it's like right if only assuming (laughs) assuming that happens what would be the next thing to focus on assuming that happened the next thing would be to focus on for me when the whining starts what the conditions are surrounding that so what i'm hearing is that you know that you need to run more experiments. we know that there are a lot of questions there seems to be a lot of ambiguity in what we're studying But it also sounds like the experiments you're running are chaotic. There's no control. You're not really sure of like, I've tested these things. I don't really know what else I could test, Mm -hmm. right? And so it feels like you've hit a wall on like the possible experiments you could do. right? Right, right. So from a research perspective, right, what could you go seek out? to better educate you so that you can run those experiments. More information on experiments in general and what to look for. Perfect. So it sounds like having a framework or a process, some sort of like structure around how to run those experiments is going to be helpful for you, right? Mm -hmm. So your task would be, I need to go find that thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. So I know I kind of glossed over it temporarily, but I want to circle back to it. We know, and I kind of like made it like a little bit of a joke. We know we can't just like flip a button and you're going to be healed and everything is great. And like there's rainbows and butterflies and mom is harmonious. Right. Right. I think that you acutely identified that more experiences walking slowly where he's not whining, he's not over aroused, and you know what you're doing. There's not a dog on the loose coming to attack you. More experiences like that are going to help you feel great.
0: Right? Right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And yes, I think that's a very self-aware observation. And I really am glad that you're aware of it because to a certain extent, in order for you to heal, you have to go through the scary thing just a little bit. Right. right. Sure. But in the same way that with our dogs, we don't necessarily have to like be over threshold during the experience. We have to expose ourselves to that experience methodically. We can't mm-hmm. just like every single time we go out like, oh my God, he's whining and it's triggers trigger. Right. So, what are some ways that you can methodically expose yourself to be, let's just encapsulate it with the problem of walking solely? You can methodically expose yourself in little doses, leading yourself up to the big event. You're going to give yourself that positive association. Once you have a positive association with something, you're going to work on the behavior piece of it, how you operate how you behave in that moment. How are you going to pull that off? If I treated it like his isolation distress training, then it would be in the smallest of doses, you know, putting on the leash or harness, whichever came first, and walking to the door. And then that's it. And repeating that and taking those just almost painful baby steps until getting out of the front door. I have to identify how I heard you say it. You say it with heavy breath, yeah. that I'd have to take it in baby steps, right? Do you want to explain what was coming in that breath? What would being held there? It's a lot. If someone has not done separation anxiety training, his isolation distress, but either way, you don't quite realize just how taxing that can be just doing those tiny steps and not skipping forward to where you want to skip forward to because mm-hmm. you know you might not be there your dog might not be there and even though there's frustration it pays off to start as slowly as possible that was absolutely beautiful and I know so many guardians here listening resonate with that so I'm going to repeat it one more time. You said it's really taxing to have to move at that snail's pace Mm -hmm. and just in the human nature are kind of compelled to want to skip steps and move forward. And we have no choice but to keep that kind of self-control and bring ourselves back and move at a snail's pace. And that requires a lot of effort from you, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So something so taxing Something that requires effort, you know, it's required. You know that it is what it is, but something that is that taxing and that it requires that much energy from you. Does it have to stay that way? Does it have to be that heavy? No, it is rewarding. I don't want to mislabel that. It is a lot at first. It's definitely a lot. It's definitely overwhelming. It feels frustrating because you're just, you know, you want to go, go, go. You want to be at the end, end goal, but it's very rewarding to see the difference. In when you take the time to go slow versus just rushing through it, when do the reward come? I think the reward comes the minute that you see even the slightest change. Slightest change. Changing. Who or what? I'm referring to Sully. You know, with his other training, the minute that I saw that he was not crying, the minute that I touched the doorknob, that was so rewarding to me that all the time that i spent walking back and forth to the door and it was hard so i was just frustrated with it it told me that that was worth it and you know every step after that became just a little bit easier and a little bit less frustrating mm-hmm. because i saw where we were going with this and i saw okay, we can get there it's mm-hmm. just going to take a little bit more time so i heard you say that the starting point is to move really slow yes mm-hmm. And start off with picking up the leash, walking into the door, starting with a really baby sub-threshold step. Okay. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing is that your reward for that isn't going to come until Sully demonstrates his behavior several steps ahead. No, it's rewarding in the moment. Just seeing okay. there's no reaction. Okay. Does the reward have to be observational only? No, it can be intrinsic. Okay. Thank you for that clarifying question. Thank you for that. So does the reward have to be intrinsic only? No, no. Okay. I mean, there are many options. You can feel good knowing that you're doing, you know, what's best for you and the dog. It can be rewarding seeing the progress. There's certainly many options. Is that going to be reinforcing enough for you? Probably. I hope. You know, it's hard when there are so many things that need this level of detail. I will eventually have to do the same with his car anxiety. So it is hard knowing that it's a very long road, but knowing that we can get there and that there is a light at the tunnel, there's a solution and that I am not feeling frustrated because I have a plan. That's mm-hmm. something. mm mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you only get reinforced by intrinsic things in your real life? No. Okay. How do you extrinsically reinforce yourself? Depends on what it is. You know, you can reward yourself with, you know, any number of things, whatever Mm -hmm. the person chooses. Give me an example of how you would like to reinforce yourself with something like desensitizing a trigger, like Sully's whining. I'm honestly not sure. I would have to give it some thought. Okay. Honest. Okay. So that's another activity step. Is consider how you can extrinsically reinforce yourself for working through the taxing experience, taxing and intrinsically rewarding. Yes, but taxing, nevertheless, Mm -hmm. of going very slowly through the decentralization process with solely grabbing the leash, going to the door, right, reinforcing yourself. So that's an activity thing. You know, do you see how extrinsically reinforcing yourself on top of the intrinsic rewards? Do you see how or if extrinsically rewarding yourself for that action, for that behavior, will help or improve the overall goal? It'll certainly keep me motivated, as will, you know, the slightest progress, just like with his other training. The minute that you see that you're going the right direction, I think that that's motivation enough. Mm Mm-hmm. And for me, a plan in and of itself is motivating. Mm. Okay. Just not feeling like you're flailing, you know, and trying to figure out what to do and what steps to take. Having a plan is very helpful for me. Beautiful. Love that. I wanna recap this the last 50 minutes of our conversation. Yeah? Sure. I am. Um, what I'm hearing is that you and Sully have a lot to work on. Yes. Right. There's a lot of different triggers. Soli's behavior has started to trigger you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you not only have to treat Sully, but you also need to treat yourself. And in order for Soli to improve, you do have to be prioritizing your growth as well, while also recognizing that to a certain extent, y'all will grow together. Right. Mm-hmm. You give a little and then he gives a little. You give a little and he gives a little. Right. Definitely. I'm also hearing that having a framework to be able to create experiments so that you can narrow down exactly where your starting point is at that door Mm -hmm. is going to really give you intel on where the actual change is happening, right? We know when he can't eat and you know when he's over threshold. So we know when he's far, far, far under threshold. We know when he's far, far, far over threshold. What we need to identify through a framework of creating experiments is that in-between stage. hmm Okay. I also, I want to scroll up. Can you imagine build bridge between being relaxed in front of the trigger and being over? Okay. So that's kind of what we talked about there. What was the suggestion? What was it? Oh, crap. I said I wanted to table it. So we were finding, al- oh, that's what she said. So finding alternatives to walking. So that's the kind of thing I want to hit on just for a second. Do you want alternatives to walks or do you want to walk? I want to walk. We obviously had to fill, you know, his exercise component without walks and mental enrichment as well, which we have. But I enjoy walking very much and I know that he would get a lot from it. It's hard that he is basically a prisoner because he can't take him in the car, you know, he can't go outside in some cases I can't leave I feel like both of us would really benefit and together as well from going on walks so I would like to do that if it is to the point where he's not happy doing that we can give it up of course but I think that it it would be something that he would really enjoy and get a lot from I love hearing what you just said and I just kind of want to highlight it which is like if we get through the recovery journey, if we work through the training and he gets to the point where he's like, no, I really don't want walks," And it's coming from a more logical decision based perspective. And it's less like erratic and emotional. Right. Then you're totally down to listen to that. Right. And sure. you're like, OK, thanks for the information. Right.
0: Right. But you just course.
1: it sounds like you just want to make sure that his decision is based in a logical experience and less like a compulsive fear or anxiety. Yes. Exactly. Exactly so, right. What I heard you say at the beginning was also like after the incident of being attacked, it was cold. So you put on walks anyway, on, or walks on hold anyway. Mm-hmm. And then it got hot. So you put those walks on hold. Yep. And then a couple of weeks before you tried it again, you tried the walk again. And he still demonstrated the anxious calling, the anxious sniffing, all of that. Yes. So what it sounds like is that you've had these two polar events where it's like he's in the house. Or he's on the walk and he's anxious. (laughs) Right. And I know you also said that you've been trying some sitting on the porch and everything and just kind of observing. Yeah. From what you said earlier, that didn't really help. No, no. He would whine, like go to the end of the leash, whine, you know, frantically go pretty much as far as the leash would take him. He had no interest in sitting and, you know, hanging out or getting treats or any of that. Okay. So... The middle ground, rather, isn't even between like being in the house or being out on the walk. It's being in the house or just being on the front porch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have to find that middle ground in there. Right. So from a research perspective, what do you need to do to find that middle ground? What is in between? I'm going to test it and, you know, try to find that. Okay. Is it the door threshold? Is it with the door cracked? a couple of inches? Is it, you know, where is that line of he could handle being okay and being over threshold? Once you have the framework to run those experiments, you have the data. Do you believe you have the framework to be able to desensitize the trigger fully? I hope so. I think, you know, quite honestly, I think a medication adjustment is just going to be necessary. I think that that will help us get there. Whereas right now, I don't think that we would have as much success or well, just as much success as we could. But I think with that added component where he is more able to learn, then I do think we can get there. Okay, so I'm gonna review the things that you've committed to in action steps. I'm gonna repeat them back to you and all I want you to do is put them in an order. Okay. Of information. okay? So you've said that you're gonna look for a framework to create those experiments, mm-hmm. right? Search your framework for that. You're going to get the medication on board mm-hmm. and get that treated. You're going to run the experiments, find that data, and you're going to treat your trigger to Sully's whining and like the locks on the whole. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So those are the four commitments you've made. Mm-hmm. Put those in order for me. What's the first thing you're going to do? Myself. That's number one. Number two is... The medication, number three is the research, and number four is implementing what I have found out from the research. Okay, I want to pause here. How are you feeling right now? Good. Yep, I feel mm-hmm. like there's a plan. Okay. What has been supportive about our conversation? I think hearing it repeated back to me and in a little bit, even though you might have tweaked the words a little bit, it was the same thing, just said a little bit differently. And it was helpful to hear, and what is something that you learned about yourself that I do have knowledge and I might just need a little bit of help, you know pulling it out of me that that I can get there, and that all of the research and everything that I've done has not been a waste that I do have quite a bit of information stored. good, good. And what did you learn about Sully that he's not a lost cause in the sense that I'm not a lost cause for help like I can. Figure out a way to help him, I guess is what I mean. I love that. I love the empowerment that you're demonstrating here. I love that you were like, no, man, like I can research, like I can do this, like I might need to go modify, but now I have an action plan and I can actually execute, right? Right, right. And I love the balance in your action plan. I love the balance of like there's some internal work I need to do, there's some research I got to do. I love a good research task, right? Yep. Yep. And there's some like action, like I got to go execute. I got to go actually train, right? Mm-hmm. It's that healthy balance of all of us. And I'm just so here for it. So do you have any questions for me? I don't think so. I appreciate your help. Okay. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Tara, thank you so much thank for you, and being our brave ambassador. Sure. And uh, tab- fabulous rest of your day, okay? Thank you, you too. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: there i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did it would help us tremendously if you would leave a review sharing what nuggets of gold were most valuable to you and why you think other dog guardians should listen to this podcast too and don't be a stranger contact me and teen dog liaison on instagram facebook and email links to all of our socials are in the description box of this episode we are wishing you well and we are hoping that you jump into our very next episode we'll see you soon